Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com and I just wanted to kind of talk about now that, you know, I've done some more reading, I've, there's been, this, this, this whole situation's been going on long enough that I had some time to kind of meditate on it and have a, a more nuanced, informed opinion. That's why I'm generally not the kind of person who's just going to be like the first person to say something just to say something, um, because there's often a lot more information, there's a lot, often a lot more things to keep in mind and think through and opinions to observe, absorb, so now I'm going to do my thing. Um... First, let's just kind of illustrate the situation right now, okay? Because I think there's a lot of also disinformation. So the term coronavirus isn't specific. I mean, there's a specific virus that is currently spreading. There is a category of viruses called coronaviruses. This is a, this is a, like, for example, when you had the SARS uh, epidemic once upon a time, that is a coronavirus. Many Many types of diseases are started by coronaviruses. It's, it's a category of viruses. Now, this particular uh, virus, I think it's like actually called SARS-2 um, or something like that. And then it causes it. And then basically the result of getting the virus causes a disease. The disease is what's referred to as COVID-19. OK, so it's called COVID-19 because it's the coronavirus detected in 2019. Um, Okay, so because I, you know, I've heard people talk about how, oh, coronavirus isn't a new thing. There's, you can Google that there's coronavirus reports and, and these treatments, blah, 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 from back in like 2003 when there was like the whole SARS thing. Because again, this coronavirus isn't like suddenly named this particular virus. It's a category of viruses, which of which this is one. And um, it's pretty bad. And what makes it extra bad is its ability to spread. It's very easily contagious. It's really easy to catch, um, which is what makes it so dangerous. So while many people who will get the virus may not show symptoms, will you know, basically experience the symptoms temporarily and pull through on their own, the issue is that it spreads so fast and... Which, and spread so easily, which means it can affect a lot more people than um, everyone's favorite comparison, the flu, which means that vulnerable population, older people, people with certain underlying conditions are, are much more at risk in just their daily interactions. That's why this matters. Okay, so that's, that's the situation. You're trying to, and then on top of that, it spreads so quickly. Okay, so like something like the flu spreads a lot. It's not as contagious. It spreads a lot slower. So one, not as many people get infected. And also there's just a lot more tools to fight the flu, like flu shots, stuff like that. Um, so you're not going to have as many people flooding the hospital with severe cases of the flu. And that's the other issue with COVID. One, again, it's not the same kind of virus as a flu. It's a different kind of virus with that's kind of newer and special, making it, meaning we lack things to do to fight it. Two, it's super contagious. And three, um, hospitals don't necessarily have the capacity to deal with that many cases at the same time if it spreads at the rate that it can spread at. So that's that's the issue. That's that's the reason for sort of a global shutdown. So that's part number one. So understanding the situation. But basically, the global economy is pretty much shut down. Certain industries, especially like if you're working like tourism, occupational therapy, anything where you're really interacting with people on a, on a regular basis, your world has pretty much ended. 
Now, typically, when you think about government and economic policy, the goal is to make the economy productive. So you want to structure your policy in a way that's going to encourage people to do productive things. Because a more productive economy, again, think about it this way, the more people that make cakes, the more cakes there is for everybody. So you want to incentivize productivity and, you know, me having sort of a dual role as one, someone who cares about economics and two is a libertarian. um, It just ends up being in line that sort of the things that people naturally do when they're more free has a tendency to also incentivize productivity because the reason is, is when we are free, we generally take our time and efforts to pursue, you know, uh, bettering bettering ourselves in many ways. Okay, or you know, go we trying to get the things that we want, which oftentimes require us to be economically productive. Okay, even if you're not looking to live a life of love of luxury, to you know, be to provide for the family you want to have requires economic productivity. To try out the all the different hobbies and and experiences you would like to have in life requires economic productivity, um, etc. 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 So, but now. You have sort of, so basically good economic policy was in line with individual liberty in the sense that things that were good for individuals being free was also good for people being economically more wealthy. Those two things go together. But now the issue isn't economic productivity. Actually, you have the opposite incentive. The opposite, the the economic goal right now is literally, uh, I think this is a great analogy that I've heard people use, is to put the economy into a induced coma okay so it's no longer it's not like a recession where you know productivity is slowing down economic numbers are slowing down and you have this debate about why are they slowing down is it because people aren't spending enough is it because we've invested in the wrong areas malinvestment or is it because of you know a variety of other different reasons economists will debate about and trying to come up with some sort of policy to induce productivity. Here we're doing the opposite. We actually want people to not work. We actually want to reduce productivity, which is ironic because a lot of those policies, uh, particularly from the left, are actually well-suited for reducing productivity. So this is actually like, you know, policies like right now would be a great time to institute a $100 minimum wage because it would basically force everybody to not employ people. <laughs> it now would be a perfect time for a UBI because people won't want to work if they can get income because the idea is you're just get trying to get people to stay home to slow down the spread. So if there was ever a time where actually, actually policy from sort of getting the the desired result, redistribution, taxation and regulation actually would necessarily actually probably best achieve that theoretically. So theoretically, there was a time to temporarily institute a ridiculously huge minimum wage, a UBI and other types of, you know, um, argue argue definite violations of individual liberty uh technically this is kind of like the scenario where that actually makes the most sense and the in the scenario where productivity is actually right now a danger people going out there and being economically active whether it's by working consuming producing actually is a danger at least for this brief period this brief novel unique period of time this is brief novel unique period of time where technically uh, the playbook does make sense the other way around Okay, um, theoretically. Okay, again, when you're assessing sort of what the goal is and what are the incentives. Okay, you want to create incentives that'll cause people to stay at home for at least 
a little while and not feel scared staying at home. That's where things like a UBI would make sense. But then it comes always back down, going back to sort of, again, I'm a libertarian. The end reality is, even if there's a theoretical right government policy for any situation, there's a reality of politics and political choice. And we this was so clear um, <laughs> in the stimulus bill, where basically they needed to spend, I think it was like $300 billion to give everybody a one-time check, but the actual bill was like $2 trillion. Okay, because the other, the other, because basically the political process requires that everybody gets their little pet projects funded, their little this, this funded, or else they won't vote for it. So you end up spending all this extra money to do the thing that you actually did make sense to do. It did make sense to give people a check. It's not the best idea. Politics never gets the best idea. Another reason why, again, while I am saying that if there was a time where, um, you know, redistribution and disincentivizing productivity made sense. It's now, I still don't think government's the one that should do it because they do it very poorly. Um, and there are people who are doing it. There are several private companies that are, you know, raising money, putting, setting money aside to um, keep their workforces afloat until they can actually reemploy them. There are uh, institutions that are, you know, basically providing food. There's a lot of, a lot of everyone's trying to do their part. And, but that's the thing. Like basically now we're $2 trillion more in debt when really what was needed was something very different. And one of the best ideas I heard so far that makes a lot of sense economically was I think from an article by Arnold economist Arnold Kling. The idea was instead of the government giving everybody a check because we don't know how long this is going to go on. So $1,200 you know, may help people over the next month, but this may go on for several months. So does that mean every single time we need to send another $300 billion, they're going to have to spend another $2 trillion? I don't know if, if the budget can, if, I don't know if our debt can, can afford that. Okay, so that's, that doesn't make sense. And then on top of it, what if you can get $300 billion to people without having to spend $300 billion? And also, and that's what basically this idea does. What it does is says instead, and I'm generally someone who's very against government underwriting loans, government getting involved in lending, because it creates all sorts of distortions. And this creates distortions. But again, it's in the context of the situation, you're not looking for maximum productivity. You're not looking for ideal market signals. You're looking to get people to stay home. In that context, where that's sort of the overriding concern, because you rather you rather keep as many people alive as possible so you can have economic productivity later. In that context, Having the government, let's say, unsay, you know what, banks, we're just going to guarantee your loans to individuals right now. Just lend people money at a low, at a, at a below market interest rate. Um, that's a much better policy. Again, not perfect. We'll, still will generate malinvestment, still has all the downsides of all government interventions. But versus the, the one-time one $300 billion check that costs $2 trillion, this idea is a lot better. You would spend a fraction of the amount of money and give people much more coverage because what's going to happen is that if you're someone who's going to have to keep themselves afloat for three months, you can just keep borrowing from that credit line from the bank. Okay, so the idea was that the banks would just have this credit line that, let's say, you know, that you see the government will guarantee their loans for this particular period of time during during this particular situation. So and banks would just make you the loan, and then you would be responsible for paying it back once this whole thing's over. Okay, so if you're someone who don't doesn't need the money, if you're someone who has a job, 
and you're able to work from home. So technically, you're you're not financially ruined. You don't need to borrow the money, uh, and you're not going to want to because of the interest rate. So the interest rate acts as a disincentive for people who don't need it to not take it. Because it's a low rate, people who do need it can afford to take it, and they can take as much as they need. Okay, so if you need it, if you need six thousand dollars, you can borrow six thousand dollars. You know, you it'll keep you afloat. Now, is everyone going to pay that? No, but a lot of people will because a lot of people do care about their credit scores. Um, a lot of people will be able to get back to work and pay those loans off. So a lot of them will be paid off at that lower interest rate. And then there will be a portion of it that does default and the bank, the government will have to pay. But it's going to be a lot less than $300 billion um, because, again, you're going to have people who don't take, a lot of people who pay back. So you're really only covering. So at the end of the day, you really end up having to pay back for the people who really just couldn't, who really just they were in the worst off situation because again they're the ones who are going to default even people who are struggling are not going to necessarily want to default because it's even if you don't have to pay a loan you're not less of, like the government again guarantees it it still affects your credit score a lot of people do care about their credit score because it does affect your employability it affects your a variety of other things uh your ability to get an apartment your um, ability to get credit another situation so people are going to care about their credit scores enough that they're going to that in itself is an incentive to pay back the bank after you get through the situation um so again overall what the government will end up outlaying would be a fraction of what they just approved without all the politicking but again such a thing would have to then get approved although theoretically the fed could do that the fed the fed could technically enact that policy unilaterally which, again, that just illustrates the fear of the, the, the power of the Fed. Okay, so again, from a policy perspective point, the policies that usually don't make sense at all, which is ironic because the policies that do make sense right now are the policies that people are constantly trying to promote in the wrong situation. And during normal economic times where you do want productivity, things like minimum wage, UBI, uh, redistribution generally is a bad idea because it distorts all the incentives. In this situation, it kind of does make sense, but again, government is still sucks at doing it um, because just the wrong incentives, the nature of politics, all this stuff. So luckily, there are people who are voluntarily redistributing, whether by donating, by companies deciding to just pay their employees even though they're not working. That's voluntary redistribution, and right now is the time to do that. Um, but far as also taking a look at sort of Things that happened in the past that could have made this worse. I mean, a lot of regulations have made the ability for all these institutions at all sorts of levels more difficult to respond. It's also um, also a lot more medical equipment might have been available. Uh, for example, basically what's been happening a lot right now is they're getting rid of regulations to allow st even state and local governments to be able to do what they need to do to act um, they're making allowing people to practice medicine that normally would have to wait another six months so their licenses can kick in and um, all sorts of different things. You know, which just illustrates that these policies aren't needed. Okay, a lot of those policies just aren't needed. Okay, if if someone had to wait an extra six months to become a doctor, yet they're able to actually serve as a doctor now, why are we holding them back six months? Why was that the norm? And same thing goes for like a lot of things when it comes to manufacturing, whatnot. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things you can look back at and a lot of policies that were in place that made it harder to respond to this, which just illustrates another reason why libertarians are generally concerned about there being just this much bureaucracy on top of everything.
and you, you hear constantly hear about, um, you know, and then also just like the fear of like leadership. So basically like Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, talking about how in, in this situation, you have 50 states competing over ventilators. So this is like a normal, so basically what happens is that they're bidding up the prices of ventilators. So they'd be better off if there was a sort of a, a, a group purchase. So that way, instead of competing, they're, they're buying as a group. Okay, and then, you know, they come up with some sort of equitable way of distributing the ventilators, which actually, you know, again, if there were in, well, in most situations, I would disagree with that. This is a situation where that actually does make sense. The problem is, again, if you ask the federal government to be that central buyer, most people I don't think have very much faith in the federal powers that currently are. So the alternative solution of the states voluntarily getting together to be, uh, to make these kind of group purchases is the right answer. And again, this just illustrates sort of what the libertarians have been saying all along in the sense that there are ways to create these sort of massive purchases. These, it's not that we're against the idea of there being a buyer. It's again, how do you get there? And the great thing is that when these governors negotiate with each other to voluntarily do this, they're going to negotiate different terms. No, It's not like, again, and find something that's equitable between as many governors as possible. Versus if they just said, hey, Donald Trump, you make the decisions, Donald Trump will just make decisions that may not necessarily be equitable to the, all the people who have to live with the resulting decision because there was none of this consensual discussion. So, and my point to bring all this up is just that to me, a lot of people are saying, they're saying, well, you know, coronavirus really, you know, really illustrates what's wrong with libertarianism. If anything, it just reiterates what's right. Um, and also you can take a look at most of the time, we're not in a situation like this. Um, well, most of the time we are in a situation where you want to maximize individual liberty and productivity. Now we aren't, but still you're seeing sort of the bottlenecks to having large centralized power happening, okay, and preventing the policies that we normal I normally wouldn't advocate for from even being put into place. So hopefully you guys found that thoughtful and interesting or just an, an opinion. Uh, my name is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. Have a great day and enjoy.